welcome to episode 393 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today we're doing a Kansas City Royals season preview podcast. Later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will be talking to our good friend Andy McCullough, who is now with the Kansas City Star. Right now, we will be talking to Craig Brown, the managing editor of Royals Review, who also wrote the Royals essay in the Baseball Prospectus Annual. Hello, Craig. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming on. So a lot of your essay deals with uh, expectations and mindsets, uh, what they were before last season, what they are now. Can you uh, give us a, a snapshot of your frame of mind uh, as relates to the Royals at the end of last season, let's say, and, and what you sort of expected going into the winter? Sure. At the end of last season, it was... Um probably a little bit uh, surprise uh, mixed with um, oh optimism for the future, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the way that that team last year really struggled and bottomed out around the All-Star break, I mean, I don't think anybody saw that they would kind of bounce back the way that they did and had the second and would have the second half the way that they performed. And so that was uh, that, that, that was something that, that I think caught a lot of people uh, by surprise, myself included. And uh, so it, it was nice to, um, as a long-suffering Royals fan, to finally watch baseball that was meaningful to semi-meaningful, I guess you could say, in September. Uh, they, they dug themselves too deep of a hole, obviously. And, and But, you know, the, the games matter for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was a pleasant surprise, and it made the second half really, really fun for the first time in a long, long time. Are you a Royals fan whose sort of bar for success is now sort of set based on your opinion of the Will Myers trade? Is is that something that you still kind of evaluate the team by whether they have justified that move or not? Um, I don't know that that you can ever justify that move. I, I mean. They're going to get one more year out of James Shields. They're not going to be able to re-sign him. Uh, so does that close the quote-unquote window on, on the trade? I mean, Will Myers is going to be in Tampa for the foreseeable future and will be leading them to October probably. Um, but, you know, I, I, it, it's not really healthy for us as a fan base and for myself personally as a fan to, to dwell on that trade uh, so much anymore. I mean, it, it happened and it, it was certainly a lightning rod and it certainly probably um, propelled the team to, you know, perform pretty well last year. I mean, Shields, uh, you know, I mean, he was great on the field, off the field, all around the field. So, it, you know, uh, short term it paid off, but long term, you know, there's probably some damage done. But at the same time, you know, the, this team needs to develop a starting pitcher. They haven't done that ever since Dayton Moore has been here. And so that, you know, it was kind of a move made out of necessity. But you, you hated to see it happen. But, you know, maybe something good can come of it. Do you think that this will be the year, perhaps, that we can stop saying that they haven't developed a starting pitcher? Uh, that'll be up to Mr. Jordano uh, Ventura, I think. And and uh, I, I'm really bullish on him. I mean, he, he's... You know, from what we saw last year in in that brief taste in September, you know, a hundred plus mile an hour fastball, great curveball, a changeup that's kind of a work in progress, but it's 
improving and that that's going to be one of the keys uh, to his success I think because a, a guy like him I mean we hear about it all the time you can you know uh, major league hitters can time that 100 mile an hour heat and catch up to it eventually and it's you know having that second pitch that third pitch the secondary pitches that have the the great difference in speed uh, that, that can keep the hitters off balance and and he looks like he's developing that so now if the Royals do the right thing you know maybe get him a few more innings in AAA and bring him up you know uh, in May or June in the, of this season uh, I think that that would be a good thing if they wanted to open the season with him in the rotation I think that would be a good thing but they're talking about starting him in the bullpen and if they do that, I've, I've likened that to baseball malpractice. You cannot take a, an arm like that and throw him in the bullpen to, to open a season in what is going to be his rookie year. I, I mean, that, that would just be insanity. But I, I think he's got as good, a, as good a chance as we've seen from anybody in this organization. So I will be cautiously optimistic. Yeah, if they do put him in the bullpen, it's it's I would say at least five or six episodes that Ben and I can squeeze out of it over the next three or four <laughs> years. So, uh, are you? Would you say that you're considerably less bullish on Danny Duffy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've uh, I've watched him. Uh, you know, uh, probably all of his major league starts. Uh, I'm I'm really concerned about the command issues that that he has and and has had. And that was before the Tommy John surgery. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I play one on the podcast, I suppose. But it, it's he's I, I, I from what I understand from the, the Tommy John surgery is, is that it's the command that is the last thing that comes back. And, and he's still struggling with that in his return from surgery. He just he, he, he can't pitch deep into games. He, he can jump ahead of hitters. He has good stuff. Uh, but once he gets ahead, he starts to kind of nibble a little bit, it seems like. Or, or he just lacks the, the confidence to go after major league hitters. I, I don't know what it is. It, it's, he's a frustrating guy for me to watch because he'll, he'll get out there, he'll have a good first inning, struggle on the second, the third inning. I mean, he's starting to throw 20, 30 pitches an inning, and he's not long for the game. And, you know, the Royals have a great bullpen, so it's, you know, I mean, you, you can overcome that starting pitcher that, that doesn't go deep into games, but that's not really what you want to see from a, from a guy who has, you know, recently been considered a top prospect. So a lot of the— A really great bullpen if Ventura's in there. <laughs> That's a good point. Don't do that to me, please. <laughs> um, so a lot of the the best contributions from the the Royals' surprisingly successful starting rotation last year came from guys who we wouldn't necessarily have have expected that of. Uh, guys like Jeremy Guthrie or uh, Bruce Chen. Uh, I mean, do you think that that the Royals can expect to get anything out of sort of the the middle to back of their rotation in 2014 comparable to what they got last season? And and if not, does that mean that there's going to be a, a big regression coming? Well, that's something that, that I think a lot of Royals fans are worried about. Um, that, that starting rotation, you're right. I mean, I mean, there were some problems there that were kind of glossed over, I think, um, you know, Jeremy Guthrie is, is, as you mentioned, a prime candidate for regression. Bruce Chen, I have no clue how the guy's been doing it for these last several years. And the fact that he's a couple of months away from becoming a, a 10 and 5 guy with the Royals, I mean, you know, that blows my mind. 
Um, so I don't think that they've got a lot of strong candidates for the back of that rotation this year. I mean, Ventura can can step in, and I mean, I know Pocota likes him uh, as being one of the the top starters on the on the team. So I mean, there's that. We've got the projections that that, that we can lean back on, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't have confidence in Wade Davis. You know, they're looking at Luke Hochaver again for the rotation. I don't have confidence in him. Uh, it, I think the rotation is, is clearly the thinnest part of this team. And if and if we're back here, you know, a year from now doing a postmortem on 2014, I think we'll, you know, I'll be talking about how the rotation wasn't as good as it was in 2013. And, and that was the difference in, in the season and, and why the team wouldn't play in October. Can you explain to us the the Hochaver decision? Uh, I mean, you'd think that that there was a large enough sample size to say that that Luke Hochaver's starting pitcher was not the best idea, uh, and he he seemed to do just fine in the bullpen. So, what is the the impetus for moving him back, and is there any reason to expect things to go differently this time? Uh, the impetus for moving him back is is that this is the Royals and. They really, a lot of times, don't do what you would consider to be the logical thing to do. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I really don't. I, the, the track record is there. Not a good starter. Um, and, you know, in, in a smaller sample size, he was very good coming out of the bullpen last year. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know the, the Royals line of thinking. I, I don't know if it's because he was a former number one overall draft pick and it hurts to have that guy pitching, you know, the seventh inning for you. I don't know if it's because he's making over five million dollars a year as, as a guy in his uh, final year uh, before he hits free agency. I, I, I don't know why the Royals are doing it. But last year. At this time, they said that they were going to give him every chance to win. I guess it was essentially the fifth starter position again. Um, and they stuck with that for like a week and a half, two weeks in spring training games. They pulled the, the plug on that. I thought that they pulled it rather quickly after they had said all along that they were going to give him a look. Not that I was in favor of him staying in the rotation, but I just thought it was kind of kind of a quick hook, if you will. Uh, so, you know, who knows? The Royals are are kind of also famous for saying one thing and then doing something else. Um, so you really can't, at least for, for fans, I don't think that we can really get an accurate read on how they look at a player so much because they're, they're constantly saying one thing and doing something else. And, and I, I, I think that they've got a lot of guys out there that they're looking at. And, and I think for sure, Hochaver is, is kind of at the end of that list. Um, at least I hope so. So there have been, you know, a lot of things the Royals have have done in the last few years that you could criticize them for and that you could blame their 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 struggles on. But but one of the things that's been particularly egregious has been that they've had some positions that have just gotten so far below replacement, so far below what what should be um, the bare minimum that they've been unable to upgrade over the course of many years. And so it was, you know, uni at shortstop for a few years, and and lately it's been right field and second base. And I think Ben. Didn't you write about this? Didn't you write like that second yeah. base for the Royals the, is the, the worst Getz. position in <laughs> the Chris Getz years? Yeah, yeah, it was, I, it was act, literally the worst position uh, that any team had over the last X number of years or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, then this off season they make two moves that I think um, you know this podcast's position uh, is that they were both really savvy. Uh, Nori Aoki is is on Ben's 
uh, personal Rushmore, and um, Omar Infante is uh, uh, one of the best uh, dollar per projected warp signings uh, in baseball this this winter. And so, uh, did the Royals all of a sudden get really smart, or are we overrating these two moves, or are we underrating just how hard it is to upgrade, and that uh, you know it was harder than we gave them credit for to upgrade on Francoeur and Getz and, and Uni all those years? Well, I think that uh, as far as like right field, I think that they were sold on Francoeur. I mean, Dayton has, has always been fond of Jeff Francoeur as a player. And, I, you know, he had that one great, well, I, great, let's just, let's qualify it for, for what it is. It was a very good season that Jeff Francoeur gave the, the Royals in uh, 2011. They signed him to a two-year extension, and it ended the way a lot of people thought it was going to end. The 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 Aoki uh, pickup is really kind of a masterstroke, I think. It, it's the kind of move that all major league general managers should be looking to do, right? I mean, the Royals have a deep bullpen. They trade a guy that's a bullpen arm with maybe some rotation upside and Will Smith for an everyday player who can lead off for him and play – you know, good defense and is just kind of a, an all-around, you know, solid player. Um, so, yeah, totally uh, on the Aoki move, uh, you know, a, a really, really solid move for the Royals. And then at second base, Ben, you became a bit of a folk hero for, for writing what you wrote about Chris Gatz in the Royal second base position, at, at least among, you know, Royals fans and the Royals blogosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's just that, that's one of those things that, Every year, as, as a fan, you look at the team and you say, okay, you know, what do they need to upgrade? What do they need to do to get better? And every year, it's second base, second base, second base. And, and for the Royals not to really do anything, um, they've had Johnny Giovatella in AAA for, it seems like, centuries now. He comes up, struggles, they send him down, um, never to be heard from again. And so it's it's been you know mostly Chris Gatz manning that that spot, and it, it's been frustrating for us as fans, and for them to go out and and play the free agent market the way that they did, and to to pick up Infante on a on a contract that you know I I think that this winter you know really kind of blew my mind as far as free agents go and and you know, who's signing for, for what amount. And I thought Infante was a little bit of an overpay, at least, you know, in, in length of the contract. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it, it seems to me that the Royals are really focusing on getting guys in now, uh, thinking about the next season, about this upcoming season and maybe the next season. And then, you know, they'll deal with whatever happens, you know, later on down the road as far as, you know, their, their fiscal flexibility. So, um, I mean, when you have the opportunity to get a guy in like Infante over a guy like Chris Gatz, I mean, that, that's such a plus. It, it just, it seems like whatever you pay him is, is going to be really a good amount of money because for once we're going to see the benefit of having a guy who can actually play ball in that position. Johnny uh, Johnny Giovatello was another favorite of the podcast. Are we ever going to hear his name again? Uh, maybe if Omar Infante goes on the DL, I don't know. I mean, does I, he have a career? Does he have any career in front of him, or uh, were, were were we two years behind the Royals in, in recognizing that he had these limitations? Um, I think that the the Royal. I mean, if he has a career, he's going to need a change of scenery for sure. I, I, it's not going to be with the Royals. Um, 
now he's completely blocked anyway. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if the, if the skill set's there. Um, he, he's able to rank against the AAA pitchers, but he's always had struggles at, at the major league level. Um, you know, I, I think that some scouts will tell you that, that there's some issues with his swing, that uh, he has holes in his swing that are easily exploited at the top level. Uh, defensively, he's you know not very good. Um, just doesn't he, he's not real you know light on your feet like you you would want from a middle infielder. He, he's very um, stiff out there. Doesn't have a lot of range. Doesn't seem to have that flexibility. Um, so you know I mean I think maybe he's you know I and, and he doesn't have a he doesn't have versatility either. He only plays second base, so he's limited that way too. So I don't even, I don't even see him sticking around as like the 25th man on a roster and like a utility role. I think the guys you know uh, sad to say um, because a lot of people were rooting for him, but I, I think he's kind of that that tweener guy that that quad that mythical quad A player who will come up for a little bit, maybe you know grab a few at bats for an injured guy fill in here or there, but ultimately he's going to spend most of his time in AAA. Uh, and what are your expectations for, for Mike Moustakis? Do you see the Danny Valencia trade as more of a, a safety net, or is it an acknowledgement that he is never going to become the player that they wanted him to be? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know if it's an acknowledgement that he will never be the player that, that they think he uh, could be or that they hoped he could be. Um, I, I think it's it's a hedge, I, and I, I see it not as Valencia is going to come in and, and replace Mustakas. I mean, I, I think it's going to it's going to be a platoon, and I don't even know if they're going to do a platoon for him right out out of the gate. I mean, I think it's the sort of thing where they're going to give Mustakas a bunch of chances. Uh, I mean, they stuck with him all year last year, um, mm-hmm. so they'll give him some chances, some opportunities against left-handed pitching. And then, uh, you know, they'll ease Valencia in and, and they'll continue to deny, no, no, it's not a platoon, it's not a platoon, we're just giving him a break, we're, he's going to get his head right, blah, blah, blah. And I think at the end it's going to be a platoon. Um, I, I just, you know, uh, I, Moustakis is, is one of those guys, you know, I mean, watch out, everyone, he's in the best shape of his life, or at least he's in the best shape that he's Ben, since he was drafted, I think was the direct quote. You'll have to ask uh, Andy McCullough from the Star about that. Um, you know, and, and and then get a report from him to to see how he's looking down there. I mean, he's he's always done well in spring training, or at least he did. He did well last year. He he was in the uh, winter league in Venezuela, uh, working with Pedro Grafal, uh, who is the Royals hitting coach. So you know, maybe. He's put it all together, but uh, you know he's he's had so many plate appearances at the major league level, and has looked so poor for a great great majority of those appearances. Uh, to me, he he's like the Danny Duffy. I mean, the 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 top prospect on the on the on the offensive side that has failed to live up to expectations or to the hype, and unfortunately, you know what we see at this point is probably what we're going to get. So last year, Greg Holland was 15th in MVP voting. Uh, I have to go back further than that, but my, my assumption is that over the last 20 years, there have not been a lot of Royals that have finished very high in MVP voting for obvious reasons. They haven't had many good players, and they haven't actually been relevant. Uh, so just I'm curious, before we get to your prediction on wins, 
I want your prediction on how high the highest Royal uh, will will rank on the MVP voting this year. Uh, I'm going to stick with my guy Alex Gordon, who I've been you know talking up for the last you know three or four years, ever since he made that switch to to left field, top defense, and uh, you know and, and hitting in in the, in the middle of the order like the Royals are going to hit him, he will get the RBI opportunities that will catch the eye of a certain portion of the electorate. And so I think uh, Alex Gordon will finish. I'll pick. I'll pick him fifth. I think. I think a Royal will crack the top five in MVP voting this year. He did. Gordon did finish twenty-first uh, in two thousand eleven, and uh, Soria finished. Uh, I think nineteenth in two thousand ten, and Granky seventeenth in two thousand and eight nine. So so far, I have not found anybody who can top Holland at fifteenth. So that's your franchise. No, nobody, nobody at all. No votes in 1990. Yeah, no (laughs) votes in 2012. No votes in 2008, and no votes in 2007. Wow, you guys are uh, making me feel really good. Making me a real, real positive thought here. You know uh, about the team that 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 I that I pull for. Well, no votes in 2006 either. (laughs) Keep going. Or 2005. No votes in 2005. 2003. There must have been some votes, right? That was a happy year. Well, that was the year before Beltron left, right? So maybe yeah, yeah. And and well, and that was the year that they finished above 500. So no votes. No votes in 2004. (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. They did have yes, Beltron finished ninth in 2003. Ah. I don't think we're going to be topping that in uh, many of our listeners' lifetimes. Oh, that, that, that is a – yeah, I've, I've gone down that, that uh, baseball reference uh, hole a couple of times looking at MVP numbers. And, yeah, I mean, it, when you go back and you look at the 70s and 80s, I know, I know, it's ancient history. But it, it's really amazing. I mean, there were a lot of Royals in there. I mean, John Mayberry finished second uh, one year, I think. Fred Patek was getting MVP votes, which is amazing. You know, I mean, the, and then it was somewhere like around 1995, 96, where they suddenly just, it, it, like the streak ended. They, they had MVP votes every year, and then in the mid-90s, it just stopped for obvious reasons. I mean, I, I can't blame the electorate, but, you know, uh, just moderately depressing. Yes, that is my team. Well, we're not here to talk about the past. Uh, we are here to talk about 2014. So please give us a win total, and, and if you would, a projected finish in the AL Central. Oh, okay. Um, See, Vegas has the over/under at 85 and a half, I think, and I think uh, Pakota has them at under 500, right? At like 79. I, I think yeah. I'll, I'll go, I'll go, um, I'll go 81, and I think that that's another third place finish for this team. So I'll, I'll, I'll go 500 with with the third place finish in the Central. Mm-hmm. Not, not, you know that. 500 is, is a classic way of hedging my bet on this because I, I think that they could, you know, catch a few breaks and be in the conversation. And I think also, you know, the breaks could go the other way, like we talked about earlier, especially with the rotation, and they could really kind of fall off from last year. I'm supposed to go on Clubhouse Confidential today and give bold predictions for the upcoming season, which is my least favorite thing to do in the world. 
because uh, I never know what qualifies as bold or not. One of the you're, and also you're not bold and you don't like predicting. So I don't, yeah, those... I don't even like conservative predictions. If I can avoid any kind of prediction, I will. But so if I were to predict that the Royals would be a playoff team at that at this point, is that still a bold prediction? Do you think? Can I get away with that, or is that not quite bold enough? Were they too close last year? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that they were too close last year. I think though that that they're kind of the the flavor of the the preseason. There's the flavor of early spring, if you will, because I've seen a lot of national guys kind of pick them. And oh uh, no, and, I can't be bold if other people are picking. Yeah, them. I've seen it out there. I mean, you would be bold if you had them to win the central. I mean, if you want to go really all out, I mean, you know. Don't hold back. Detroit, you know, did some questionable things this offseason. You're right. Maybe I will be that bold. It's the, last, it's the last Clubhouse Confidential episode of the offseason. So what's the worst they can do? Not yeah. have me not have me back. Yeah, well, uh, they, 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 never, they never not invite you back because your predictions are too bold, right? I mean, so <laughs> I, go 92 wins in the Central. That's what I do. All right. I'm doing it. Uh, you can follow Craig Brown at Royals Authority. Uh, read his his writing and his his editing at Royals Review. Thanks again for joining us, Craig. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, and please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to the Play Index, subscribe, use the coupon code BP, which gives you a six dollar discount on a one year subscription. And now Nick talks to Andy McCullough. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Andy McCullough of the Kansas City Star. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Yeah, anytime. So you're now covering your third beat in three years, as you've gone from covering the Mets from 2010 to 2012, then covering the Yankees last year, and now covering the Royals. During all four years covering New York teams, you were at the New York Star-Ledger, so it wasn't as big of a change. How has transitioning to a new city and paper been different than simply transitioning beats? Uh, you know, it's been good so far. It's only been a couple of weeks, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, not really, I'm not really in the city right now. I'm in yeah. uh, Arizona. So, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll get to know Kansas City pretty well, you know, when the season starts. I'll be there half the time at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a little different here in Arizona than it is in Florida. Um, obviously the travel is better. Um, there's no rain and, uh, yeah, so no, no complaints on that end. The last time you were on Effectively Wild, you spoke to Ben and Sam about the Alex Rodriguez saga. This was at one of the peaks of the story's insanity following the 60 Minutes episode. Are you excited to get away from that madness or are you going to miss covering such a unique situation? (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those, um... At times, in, in, when you're when you're doing it, you kind of wonder about sort of your value in life and you know why I've, you know, like I did really good like on my SATs like in, in high school yeah. and stuff, and I'm like a, I'm like a kind of a smart person I think, and it's like well why you know is this really what I decided to spend my life doing, um, but, uh, but yeah I mean it was fun you know I I, I enjoyed um, you know covering that whole thing it was obviously a pretty tumultuous time and. Yankees franchise history that, you know, it seems like right now that they're kind of, they've gotten out of, and which is, you know, the bully for them, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, as a writer, is you're always looking for something interesting, you know, to happen. And, yeah. um, you know, you just kind of want to be a part of, you know, just things going on, you know, because that's that's our job is to kind of explain interesting things uh, in the most basic sense. So, uh, in, in that way, you know, I'll miss Alex, but I'm not, you know, going to miss kind of the constant fear that something might happen or the, you know, the the night in Boston when, 
at one in the morning, he announced that he was suing the team, you know, that, that sort of stuff. But you know what? It's fun, man. I mean, like this job is, this job can get pretty boring. You know, there's a lot of just the same stuff happening over and over again. And so it was, it was, a, it was a unique situation that I enjoyed. So how do you adjust to a new beat? Do you talk with your predecessor much or is there anyone else who helps you, helps get you up to speed? Um, no, no, I mean, you know, the people at the paper have been great, you know, Sam Mellinger, um, who's the, uh, the uh, general columnist now, you know, was the ball writer here for a long time, the, the national sort of guy. And so he's been helpful with that. And, you know, it's just, it, to me, it's like, it's the same job, just, uh, you know, in a different clubhouse. I and mean, there's nothing really different about what I do, except, you know, there's not 30 other reporters in there, you know, there's four or five. Yeah. And so it's, it's not, it's the, the job is the same. The skills are the same. You know, it's not that big a change. From what you can tell so far, what are the biggest differences between the fan bases in New York and Kansas City? Um, hmm, good question. You know, there's I, I see some similarities. I think between uh, you know like Mets fans and Royal fans. Yeah. You know, obviously they've been kind of tortured for a while. You know, and they're kind of looking for something to hold on to. Um, you know, and they're sort of jaded with you know ownership for various reasons. You know, Mets fans are. You know, jaded with the ownership for kind of the way Omar Minaya's tenure ended, and kind of waiting for Danny Alderson's and to you know get started really and show any sort of sign of tangible progress yeah. on the major league level. Um, and you know, with the World fans, you know they've endured a ton of losing. You know, I mean, you know, just they they made the playoffs. They haven't been in the playoffs since 1985. Yeah. You know, I was I was born in 1987. <laughs> you know, like that's a you know, and like I feel old right now. You know. Um, so that's a long time, uh, and it's hard on a fan base, you know, that's hard. And so there's frustration from ownership, but, you know, I think just looking at, you know, this team on paper and what they're possibly, you know, what's capable for them this year, you know, maybe that narrative could change because they've got a, you know, a good young core of players that's sort of the envy of, you know, most franchises to have guys like this. And so there's potential to, you know, to maybe do something that, you know, has been so elusive for so long. It's kind of hard to believe that the Royals won one just one more game than the Yankees last year. Definitely very different reactions to a mid-80 game win season. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw the lineups the Yankees were running out yeah. there last year, but for the Yankees to win 85 games, I mean, that's like, you know, just, you know, I, I I I was surprised Joe Girardi didn't get more credit as manager of the year because you know, holy crap, was that team just waylaid by injuries and everything? So, yeah, I mean, and, and you look at like. You know the the Yankees won 85 games, and I think their Pythagorean was like 79 wins yeah, or 78 79, wins. Yeah, yeah, and the Royals were like 87. So you know the talent level was it was pretty disparate, but you know it's just kind of a couple bounces here and there, and you know all that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean it's uh, it is a separate reaction. You know, the, with the Royals, it's kind of a cause for jubilation and a sign that you know maybe things are turning around. And with the Yankees, it's yeah, all right, we got to go spend half a billion dollars. <laughs> so it's it's a little different. So in 2013, the Royals' offense had the second best strikeout rate, the second worst isolated slugging uh, percentage. They had the second most singles in baseball and the third fewest home runs. This offseason, they signed Omar Infante, who strikes out very infrequently, but also has above average power for a second baseman at least. And then they traded for Nori Aoki, who had who had the lowest strikeout rate in all of baseball last year. Have the Royals made? Making contact and organizational priority, and how can they get a bit more out of a bit more power out of their lineup this year? Well, I think I mean yes, it is a priority. They yeah. they like guys. I mean, as, as in general, you know, they like athletic 
um, I always forget what this word is, versatile. There it is. They like athletic, versatile guys you know, who could do more than one thing. Um, and so, you know, guys like Aoki and Infante appeal to them because they can run, they can hit, you know, they can field their position. You know, they might not be elite in any of those categories, but they can do lots of different things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Contact hitters at the top of the lineup is what they're looking for. And they also, they like uh, Aoki's on-base skill. You know, he has the 355 OVP guide. That's, you know, it's not elite, but it's good. You know, it's not, it's not bad, especially in this sort of offensive environment. They think that'll play, um, you know, and they think Infante will get on base. And, and they feel like, you know, he has some doubles power that maybe he'll be able to tap into. You know, their ballpark's kind of spacious, and so there might be some room for that. Um, and in terms of just, you know, finding the power, they think they have the guys who have power, you know, Hosmer, Butler, Gordon, you know, and even Mustakas and Sal Perez. You know, are these guys 30 home run guys, you know, outside of Hosmer? Probably not. Um, you know, maybe, you know, Gordon or Butler, you know, could hit that, but you know, they're looking for doubles. They're looking for, you know, guys to hit the ball hard. And, you know, the hope is to get rewarded for that. You know, if if not with homers and with doubles or maybe even triples. So, you know, it's just a matter of they have young players and they're relying on young players. And the hard part about that is young players don't always do what we expect them to do. You know, they never do what we expect them to do. Um, you know, so the, the hope is that, you know, Mike Moustakis takes a step forward, that Eric Hosmer takes a step forward, that, you know, Sal Perez does the same, you know, Butler and Gordon kind of regress back to their career averages and away yeah. from what they're doing last year, and, you know, that, that'll that make up for the offense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough for them to string, to, you have to string together a lot of singles in order to score runs that way, especially when they you walk as infrequently as they did last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the hard way to score, you know. <laughs> the way to score is to hit the ball over the fence, you know. And uh, when you don't do that a ton, which they probably won't, you know, you need uh, you need longer sequence offense. You know, we talk about this all the time in the playoffs, you know, short sequence offense wins. Um, so, you know, with them, they don't have guys who are going to hit 35, 40 home runs, but they feel like they have enough guys who can hit, you know, 30, 40 doubles and 20 to 25 home runs that you, they can bridge that gap. Yeah, one place where they had their offense added a little value was in was in base running. You mentioned their emphasis on getting mm-hmm. young guys who are athletic, and that definitely uh, contri- contributes there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, the, the, with the Royals, like they with the way they they operate financially, um, you know, they feel like they have to be they have to find uh, you know versatile players. They can't have, you know, guys who can only run or guys who can only hit or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Billy Butler is not a guy that Dayton Moore drafted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're looking for that sort of profile that, you know, maybe not elite in any area but good in all phases. And, you know, they, they feel like they can play good defense and their run prevention will be good enough. So that, you know, they'll be able to, you know, perhaps not be one of the best offenses in baseball but be good enough to, to win. Yeah. Over on the pitching side, they had a – amazing bullpen last year they led the major leagues in strikeout rate and adjusted era getting really amazing production out of greg holland and luke hochevar how much will they rely on that bullpen again this year well it's, it's important you know um it's it's important to them because their starting staff outside of james shields you know is, is not elite yeah. um so they need that bullpen to to repeat what they did and that's gonna be hard you know because Bullpens are obviously very volatile, um, but, you know, they've got guys who have track records of success. I mean, Greg Allen is pretty much the, you know, the best reliever in the American League over the past three years. If you go by just war, and, I mean, his numbers last year are pretty insane. Um, You know, will he do that again? No, but if he regresses a little bit, you know, he's still going to be pretty good. Um, 
you know, so yeah, the one thing they like too is they have bullpen depth. I mean, they just have a lot of good young arms that they can slot in, you know, like, you know, not even guys like Holland or Collins or Pro or, you know, but it's like Kelvin Herrera, Lewis Coleman, you know, Donnie Joseph, you know, they're, they feel like they just have a ton of young arms that they can rely on that if someone's not working, they can go to him. So that's something they view as a strength. Um, it's always tough to project because, again, bullpens, just weird stuff happens with bullpens. But, you know, that's the hope is that they'll be able to repeat, you know, some semblance of what they did last year. Yeah, it's tough to imagine Holland repeating his season last year. He struck out 40% of the guys he faced, but there are some good signs. He has improved his, fa- his the whiff rate on his fastball every year since, since 2010. He's got one of the best sliders in the league. Yeah, I mean, Holland's basically a monster. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, you know, like – He's Craig Kimball gets all a ton of press, you know, obviously, and Craig Kimball's, uh, you know, a better pitcher, but right now he's still really good, you know, and, and it's partially just because he's only been a, like a full time closer for one year. Um, so he was doing a lot of it, you know, in, in ways that doesn't, you know, rack up fantasy stats or, you know, so people wouldn't notice. But if you just look at, you know, <laughs> this guy's strikeout rate, you know, the, his ERA, his FIP, all that stuff, I and mean, just, you know, monster. So. Can he do it again? Who knows? You know, he's a reliever, and these things, you know, they they, they get pretty, uh, you know, wacky. But the, you know, there's no reason to to bet against him being very very good in 2014. One of the ways that the Royals' rotation provided some value was by eating up a lot of innings. Their starters threw the fourth most innings in baseball. They had an above average ERA, but a lot of that was due to a very inflated strand rate. Uh, they lost Irvin Santana to free agency, then signed Jason Vargas to a four-year deal. So they've got a bunch of pitch-to-contact guys, and then they have James Shields at the t- top of the rotation, and Rodano Ventura, who's got a huge fastball and uh, is trying to get into, break into that rotation for a full year after making a few starts at the end of last year. How much pressure is there on Shields to perform in what will likely be his last season with the Royals, and what does Ventura need to do in order to break into the rotation? Well, you know, with Shield, there's the same amount of pressure, I think, that there was last year. You know, he was basically brought in, you know, to be the savior, you know, to, to you know, lead this team to, you know, if not the playoffs, into a winning record. And he pretty much answered the call last year. I mean, he had a typical great game Shield season. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's so consistent, uh, at least in the past three years or so, that, you know, he, he's kind of almost – not forgotten, but, you know, he doesn't, he's never going to have like one of those crazy, you know, I don't think seven or eight win type seasons, but there's just so much value in putting up, you know, a four win, a five win year over and over and over again. Um, you know, so if he can do that again, he'll, he, the team will benefit. He'll get paid a ton of money in the off season from someone and everyone will be happy. Um, in terms of Ventura, you know, he needs to win the competition here in spring training. And, you know, I think his primary, uh, competition for the fifth spot is going to be Danny Duffy um, because, you know, while Luke Hochaver and uh, and Wade Davis and Brad Penny and some other guys are in the contest, you know, I think they would like one of those two guys to win, you know, uh, Ventura or Duffy. And most likely the other one will probably go to Omaha and be the, you know, the sixth starter if someone turns an ankle. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Ventura has a lot of promise, and, you know, and Duffy did too. You know, <laughs> Duffy was, before he got TJ, you know, was considered one of those top prospect guys mm-hmm. the, the team was banking on. So for both of them, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, whoever looks best will probably get the job, and the other one, you know, they hope forces them to make a move and, you know, maybe move Bruce Chen to the bullpen or something, you know, later in the year. Kyle Zimmer is their next best pitching pro- 
prospect. He was drafted in the first round in 2012 and then ended last season in A. Earlier this month, you wrote that the Royals are considering calling him up later in 2014. How much of that decision will be based on Zimmer's performance and how much will it be based on uh, where they are in the standings come, just come September? I think it's going to be based more on his performance. I think, I think they view him as a he's the way it was framed to me. You know, is like if they 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 want him up in the majors this year, they really do. You know, they want him to force their hand. Um, you know, and and, and you know, be that sort of Michael Walker, Garrett Cole. You know, uh, to some degree, Matt Harvey in 2012. You know, Zach Wheeler in 2013. Just the guy who's knocking on the door and sort of. Uh, you know, makes it imperative for you to bring him up. Um, at the same time, you know, he's a, he's a long-term commodity for them. You know, he's the fifth pick in the draft. He's a guy who, you know, they feel like he can headline a rotation. You know, if not next year, then maybe 2016. Um, so, you know, the goal is to get him up here this year, give him some innings, have him hopefully make an impact, you know, in the playoff race, but also be set up for 2015 where if they're, you know, talking about life without James Shields, well, it's okay, you know, because we have Kyle Zimmer, and, you know, he can give us 200 good innings or 180 good innings that can hopefully offset some of that. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to force him up, but they would certainly be very, very happy if he, you know, forced his way up. Does the does Shields' um, impending free agency give them any sense of urgency this year, especially with uh, being aggressive calling up those prospects? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a sense of urgency more so in other years, but I don't know if they're going to sacrifice the long-term stuff um, just because Shields is going. I mean, you know, yes, absolutely. This is kind of the year that they, they do need to make something happen. You know, they need to have a win year for everyone involved. You know, that's, that's important. Um, but it's not like the window totally closes in 2015. You know, they still have a lot of young talent under contract for a while. And, you know, will they sign Eric Hosmer to a long-term deal? You know, I don't know. Uh, that's that's going to be tough. Um, you know, but <laughs> he's still under, I mean, he's the first year ARB eligible, so they still got him for three years, you know. Uh, you know, they still have it outscored. They still have, like, Moustakis, Sal Perez is on the best contract in baseball. You know, he's getting paid, like, you know, five bucks a year for the next, you know, seven years or something. Um, so, you know, it's not like they have to win this year or else the franchise is full. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's going to be important because, you know, they made that shield trade to learn how to win and to actually get some winning done. So if they don't do that, it'll be viewed as something of a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon's been so amazing in left field the past few years for them. He's going to be a free agent after next year. So not, not too many guys in the, on the position player side that they're going to lose, but again, definitely want to be uh, aggressive while they still have shields. Yeah, and, and with Billy Butler, you know, I, I think he's due his options like either 14 or 15 million, I think, for, for next year. And they're going to really have to assess, all right, are, are we as a franchise able to pay this much for a DH? You know, and there's been some talk about them, you know, potentially trying to move him last offseason. Obviously, that didn't work out because he's still here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that, that's another consideration for why, you know, they might have to, you know, why there's more of imperative to win now. But I, I don't think it's win now or win never. Last year, the Royals got some attention for a set of billboards that p- depicted James Shields pitching to Salvador Perez. And then this winter, they unveiled a new one with uh, Alex Gordon sliding headfirst and appearing to tear up the billboard behind him. Do you have any billboard-based scoops for us, or has Kansas City kept that under wraps? 
No, dude, I've been like in town for like four days, and then I moved down. I'm down in Arizona, so you know, all I know is there's good barbecue yeah. and um, you know, and great baseball fans. Uh, have you gotten Google Fiber hooked up? Have you moved in there yet? What's uh, what's going on? Well, uh, no, I gotta find a, I gotta find an apartment. Oh, really? you know of any good uh, good neighborhoods and stuff? Yeah. Let me know. Unfortunately, I don't. I, I went to school out in, in St. Louis, so. Uh, as a New Yorker, who grew, someone who grew up in New York and then uh, moved out to Missouri myself, I definitely have uh, <laughs> undergone that transition. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. You yeah. know, the uh, the cost of living is much better than it was in De- Jersey, so I have no complaints. Big, big difference. Were you living in New York or in New Jersey before? I lived in New Jersey. Yeah, I spent five years in uh, North Jersey, so I have no complaints about that. It's just it's uh, it's way more expensive than uh, than Kansas. Yeah. So you've probably spent more time in Arizona than you have in Kansas City so far? Yeah, yeah. No, I spent four days, you know, wow. <laughs> and, then I, wow. and then I flew down here. So I've been here for, you know, either two weeks or a year. I don't even know. It's all the days <laughs> run together in spring training. So for the, in the beginning of spring training, after seeing the Royals play for a little bit, uh, who are you most excited to watch in 2014? Um, hmm, that's a good, you know, I, I would like to see... Uh, what Hosmer is able to do, you know, I think, you know, if he can put together the full season of kind of the player he's supposed to be, um, you know, because he's a guy who, you know, kind of gets the, you know, non-switch hitting Mark Deshera type comp, you know, the guy can just be, you know, gold glove plus superstar hitter, um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see if he's able to do that for a full year. Um, and then, you know, Ventura and, and Duffy and Zimmer obviously are really, really important to not just this year, but, you know, the next two or three years. So how they perform this year is, is going to be is gonna be interesting. And, and just, you know, and again, Ventura throws 100 miles an hour, which is always fun yeah. to watch. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, have a good season, and I hope you um, get used to living in Kansas City. Yeah, well, either way, it'll, uh, it'll happen. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, thanks again, and uh, take care. Sure, no problem. That was Andy McCullough of the Kansas City Star. You can read Andy at kansascity.com slash sports slash royals, or follow him on Twitter at McCulloughStar. Tomorrow I'll be discussing the Diamondbacks with Steve Berthume, play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports Arizona.